Well, officially, December 18th is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and on this Sunday we lit the joy candle. We heard a marvelous sermon about joy on Thanksgiving Day by Dan Kennedy, and while I want to remain in the spirit of Christmas, I want to take a look at one of the reasons many Christians have lost their joy and what you can do about it. I believe many Christians have lost their joy because they've been frustrated trying to live the overcoming Christian life. We try, we fail, we resolve, we pray, we fast, we fail, we repent, and we fail, and we become discouraged. And it's not that doing any of those things is not fruitful. Prayer is a good thing. Fasting is a good thing. Resolve can be a good thing. But when we put our faith in those things, we're putting our faith in the wrong place. I'm going to suggest this morning that faith in and of itself is not the most important thing in the Christian walk. Forgive me, Warren. It's the object of our faith that's most important. The Bible says every person has a measure of faith. It's what we apply that faith to that makes the difference. Many would say that Jesus should be the object of our faith, and they'd be partially right. But if we stop there, we miss the key to living out the life that Jesus died to give us. Understanding and believing what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and that God the Father demonstrated his approval by raising Jesus from the dead, is what allows us to have the proper object of our faith. The proper object of our faith needs to be the resurrected Christ on the cross, who on the cross said, it is finished. Three words that had such an impact on the world. It wasn't just Jesus' suffering that was finished. When he said those words, the veil in the temple, heavy, heavy curtain, split from the top to the bottom, saying that our access to God the Father, which had been for so long denied to us by sin, it was finished. Our access had been restored. Why is it so important that our, the object of our faith be the finished work of Jesus Christ? It's because it's, defi- it's what defines us as a Christian.
Paul says that when we are baptized into water, into Christ, that our old nature is buried with Christ, and we are resurrected in Christ as a new nature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Is that the experience of your life? Since you were received Jesus as your Savior and that old nature died, has all things become new to you? Or do you still struggle with some of those old things? Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul addresses this idea with the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this, only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, if it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do, uh, do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul says Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What does that mean? In another place in 1 Corinthians 1.23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and, a folly, and folly to the Gentiles. And again in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. At the, Christ where, at the cross where Jesus Christ was crucified, his final words we said were, It is finished, and then he died. So Paul is saying to the Galatians that he preached Christ crucified to them and they knew what Jesus' suffering and death on the cross accomplished for them. They knew it. He didn't tell them anything else but that. And then Paul takes them to task for turning towards works of the law to justify themselves and ask them how they were saved. Was it by works of the law? or by faith that comes by the hearing of the word of God. If they started by receiving the spirit of truth by faith, then how did they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They prayed a lot. They did a lot of right works. They fasted. No. They received it by faith. Why is it then that having started their Christian walk in the spirit through faith, do they now try to grow in Christ by going back to the works of the law. And it's easy for us to sit here and judge them by their Jewish background. But don't we do the same thing? I'm not good enough for God to use. I don't do enough. I don't pray enough. I don't fast enough. I don't read the Bible enough. Those are all godly things to do and things that Jesus wants us to do. But in and of themselves, putting our faith in those things, that's works. And works will never please God. And works will never allow us to live the victorious Christian life that he died to give us. 
That's what he meant when it was finished. He said it is finished. He died. It is finished. We have everything we need to live a godly life pleasing to God. David Kreuter has encouraged us to look for patterns in the Bible, and I happen to notice one that extends to today. I see that it was easier for God to take Israel out of Egypt than Egypt out of Israel. In Galatia, I see it was easier for those who practiced lifelong Jew to take those who practiced lifelong Judaism out of Judaism than it was to get Judaism out of the life of the believers. And it seems that it is easier to come to save, to become saved by faith than it is to walk out our sanctification by faith. Now, it's true that we already are positionally sanctified in Christ. When God looks at you through the blood of Jesus, you are perfect. You have lived and will live a perfect life, pleasing to God. But we also know that in our new nature, that we are left here not to do works to earn favor from God, but to do works that God gives us to do because we love him and because they further the kingdom of God. We're saved by faith. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit of faith, by faith, and we exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit by faith. What then is the first thought that comes to my mind when I'm praying for someone's healing? Often my first thought is, I'm not good enough. Why would God use me? I sin too much. Those are all works. They all point to works. And works do not give us favor with God. Works confirm our faith. We walk out our faith by doing godly works. But works do not make us faithful Christians. My old nature, it's not good enough to please God. But I'm a new creature, a new nature, and who I am now in Christ is more than good enough not only to please God, but to invoke his favor. God loves me. God rejoices over me. So am I so foolish that having been saved from, uh, from sin as a sinner that I think I can earn God's favor and attempt to live a righteous life as described by the law or the Old Testament? I lie? Did I lie? Did I take something that wasn't mine? Oh, what about a little white lie? Did I have a bad thought towards somebody? Not a loving thought? And will I judge myself by these things? It's not that they should be in my life. Those are part of the old nature. But when I judge myself by those things, I'm judging my old nature. <clears throat> what I need to be doing is instead of judging those things, I need to be repenting 
that I'm allowing the old nature to rule in my life, and I'm not believing the object of my faith is not what Christ did for me on the cross. What's the first thought that comes to my mind when a familiar temptation comes my way? I like to use that second piece of pie. Too often it is, Wayne, you have failed to overcome this before and you will fail again. Where does that thought come from? Does that thought come from the word of God? Does that thought come from the spirit of God? No, that thought comes from the evil one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy my joy and and me. And when that thought comes to my mind, my response should be, no, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. My new nature does not want to succumb to that second piece of pie. It is satisfied. It is more than satisfied. It is very happy having only had one piece. Doesn't need the gluttony of two pieces. And so then starts the battle between the spirit man and the old man that Paul writes of in chapter 7 of Romans. It's the battle to forget who, that I am no longer the old creation who loved to sin and to remember that I am a new creature with a heart to please God rather than myself. <coughs> but as long as that struggle exists, that struggle means that I have failed to comprehend who I am in Christ. I have failed to comprehend that who I am in Christ, I have not allowed to transform my mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we read, Do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable. What is my first thought when I think the Holy Spirit wants to use me to minister to somebody in the gifts or with the gifts of the Spirit? First thought comes is, why would God use me? I don't pray enough. I don't read his word enough. I don't fast enough. I'm not reverend enough. Do I battle this enemy alone? Having begun in the faith, in the finished work of Christ on the cross, do I now serve? Do I now strive to serve Him through obedience to His word? Yes, I should be obedient to His word, but that should not be a struggle. Not if I'm living with the focus of my faith on what Christ did for me at the cross, which is I am now a new creature. I don't have to have that struggle. 
But the struggle is in believing. You know, I, say, I talk about the focus of faith. Faith is not idle. It's not enough for me to know that I need to have my mind transformed. And it's not going to transform my mind by reading or hearing that I'm a new creature. Because when the struggle comes, what transforms me, my mind, is by admitting that I am a new creature in Christ. And because I'm a new creature in Christ, I don't have to have this struggle. I don't have to fight against that old creature that's dead and buried, what it wanted, what it would want. I, I got to ask, is the Bible true or not? Is my old nature dead and buried? Or is it alive? The Bible says it's dead and buried. It says I'm a new creature. So when the struggle comes, it's not that my old man has resurrected. It's that my mind has not been transformed to believe that the old man is dead and I'm a new creature. I have a new nature in Christ. God doesn't love me unconditionally because of what I can do for him. He loves me unconditionally because I am his child. He loves me unconditionally because he created me for his pleasure. And he loves me unconditionally because in Christ I am the apple of his eye. And that is why he loves you unconditionally if you are in Christ. But we can't be in Christ and attempt to please God by our works. Yes, we should have works that please God, but not because we attempt to do those works in our own strength. It is faith that pleases God. And so our obedience flows out of our grateful love and gratitude to him. You know, when I find work toilsome, consider it beneath me. When I find no joy in the task at hand, I know that whether the work is a good thing or not to do, I'm not doing it in my own strength. I'm not doing it in Christ's strength. I'm not remembering who I am in Christ. Recently, I've been, I was quite ill, and I had a very high fever. And as I lay in bed shivering, shivering one night, I had a dream. And in this dream, the Holy Spirit was leading me through these different rooms in a temple. And finally, we came to a room that was different. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Wayne, this is the Holy of Holies. Here, no unrighteousness can stand. Here, no illness can stand. Now, I was not healed instantaneously at that moment, but that's the moment my healing process started. And I don't know, if, I don't understand God's ways. I don't know why some are healed instantaneously and some it's a process. But I know that in the process that I went through, God revealed himself to me in a way that I had not known him before.
I've had a heart attack with very negligible muscle damage or death. I've had prostate cancer, but today I'm cancer-free. I had a stroke caused by an infection in my heart, but no lasting deficit. And in all this, I have not only learned the graciousness of God, because I'm going to tell you that old Wayne didn't deserve that. The old nature Wayne did not deserve that. But I've also learned to appreciate the graciousness of God, to hold on to it. You know, when I have dreams, who knows what those are caused by? Too much chocolate chip cookies, too much fudge. Too much stress. Who knows? So when I have dreams, I like to go into Scripture if I believe they're from the Lord and verify that. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 21 through 22, we read, And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, between, from between the two cherubim, that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. You know, the mercy seat was a place of transference of sin for forgiveness, of reconciliation between God and his people. The high priest would go in once a year and splatter the blood of the sacrificed perfect lamb in repentance for the sins of Israel for the entire year. And there they found mercy. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who passes through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. What was the Holy of Holies? It was that place where God's presence dwelled. And what is the throne of grace? It's that place where God's presence dwells. Why does the author of Hebrews encourage us to draw near to the throne of grace? So that in God's presence, we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And when we stand in his presence and by faith take hold of who we are in Christ, we do find that grace and mercy. And now when I pray, I take time to enter confidently into God's throne of grace, remembering who I am in Christ. And I take time to bask in his presence and find that mercy and grace. I don't know about you, but so many times I'm like, hello, Father, I need this, I need that. Would you do this? Would you do that? I don't do that anymore. 
Now I kind of follow the example of the Lord's Prayer, and I start with praise and adoration. Because you know what? It says, I praise and adore God that I enter into his throne room. I enter into his presence. And then I take time to confess my sins. Because God has already forgiven them. He's already washed them away. But I need to, get, I need to wash them away from my consciousness so that they don't hinder me in approaching boldly to the throne of grace. And I said before that faith is an active thing. And just as Israel had to take the promised land from their enemies after God gave it to them, so we have to take hold of who we are in Christ. We have to take hold of that new nature that we have. And we need to allow it to transform our minds so that we no longer think the old ways that we thought. So that all things became become new and so that we are convinced that I know that I know that I know that I am different that I am a new creature in Christ and because of that I can overcome every obstacle the enemy puts in my path as I walk through this life I haven't told you anything you don't know today But like me, do you often find yourself questioning your worth to be used by God? We need the truth of who we are in Christ to transform our mind. Take hold of the truth of who you are in Christ and battle every thought, every enemy that tries to take that away from you. We need to allow the truth of who we are in Christ to transform us. Oh, it's so easy to fall back into the old ways, to think the old thoughts, to think that's who I am, but it's not who I am any longer. Let us not be like the foolish Galatians who began in the spirit and tried to finish in the works of the law. We are set free from the law of Christ, uh, set free by the law of Christ and his finished work on the cross. We who are Christ. We are who Christ says we are, and you are who Christ says you are, new creatures created in the image of God who possess a heart after God, who by faith take hold of the truth of God and with joy perform his will in our lives. That's who we are. And may Almighty God, by his Holy Spirit, bless us with the true understanding of who we are in Christ. And how unfathomable his love is for us. You are the apple of his eye. So let us go forth in in confidence to love God. Know who we are in Christ. And serve him who loves us so much. I don't know if I'm the only person who struggles with the old man. It'd be nice if I was, because that means you weren't. But somehow I suspect I'm not. So don't let the evil one take 
the joy of your salvation away from you. But rather, walking in the true knowledge of who you are in Christ. Live the victorious Christian life.